0: We're continuing today in the Old Testament, and I'm going to be doing, you'll notice, part two of the prophets. And you may say, well, Andrew, you didn't do part one last week. Well, part one was actually back in November last year. Anne and I did a tag team, and if you want to watch it to catch up, if you could go to our website, and this is what you'll see. And if you look for this particular image there, uh, you can do, or you can go to the YouTube channel, and that's the one that connects to the prophecy part one. Um, just very quick summary: um, uh, we talked about the archaeological basis um, for some of the prophetic literature in the Bible and how we can archaeology just shows the truth of exactly what was said historically. We also we also talked about thirty percent of the Bible being prophecy and how it's important to um, understand how prophecy works if you're going to be able to understand the Bible. So this week, my goal is to help us get more out of reading the prophetic books in the Old Testament by understanding what they are about and how they can speak to us. And I want to say that it's going to be very visual today. So if you're watching online, um, then I suggest you make sure that you actually get somewhere you can see it. Um, If you're just listening on the podcast, then follow the link to the website and you'll at least be able to see the outline at some point and see the visuals that I'm giving here because it's going to be very visual. Now, I've got three points today but they're not the same as normal where I go through the points one, two, three. They're going to be all interleaved and meshed together, woven together. And so I'll tell you all three of them to start with, and then we're going to highlight which we're on at different points. And I can remember things better if I have a visual. So I've got a picture to symbolize each of these points, and we'll see if we can remember them. So I've got the first word I've got is covenant. And that's my picture, and I'll explain why I've got the Ten Commandments there in a minute. So covenant, and then the second one is structure, and the third one is social justice. Okay, so I'm going to test you now. What's the first one? Second? Third? Right, now we're going to try doing it without, um, without being able to see them. Right, what's the first? Second, third, you're good. Yeah, you're good today. Um, so, um, uh, so, and we're going to be a lot of the um, material today is taken from a book of my very dear friend um, Peter Gentry. And when Anne and I first came to Canada in 1985, the first family that we connected with and became friends with, were the Gentries, and uh, he was a professor at the, the seminar I went to, and um, we've stayed friends ever since, and he's now one of the world's foremost authorities on prophetic literature. He's written a book, which I have here, which is called How to Read and Understand the Biblical Prophets, which I would strongly recommend, and I'm unashamed, unashamedly taking a lot of today from This book, and because it's so clear and it's well described, and he's really one of the best authorities on this. So, um, the first image that I had was covenant, and I'll explain what I mean by covenant because there's lots of misunderstandings. People can think covenant it's about laws or about about uh, contracts. It's not. And here's a definition. An agreement between two parties making binding, official, and permanent a relationship of faithful, loyal love, obedience, and trust. Not a business contract or a marketplace agreement. The closest thing in our culture would be a marriage covenant. It's a relationship. Now, why do I have a picture of the Ten Commandments here? Because the Ten Commandments were like a a seal on the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai and then remade it at, in Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy, the word actually literally means the second law giving. And so, uh, Deutero is the second Nomass' law. And so it's actually repetition and a reenactment of the law that was made before. But law is really not the right Translation, because actually it was an agreement, a loving agreement. If you're going to walk together with your God, this is how what it looks like to walk with your God. And we're going to see that a lot of it was connected with treating the poor right, treating people right, having things that are fair and just. And the ten commandments were like a seal that 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 marked this. They were never designed to stand by themselves. They pointed to a whole relationship with God. So that's what covenant is about. The second thing I want to talk about is, um, in my themes, is um, structure. And in our society, we assume a lot of things about how things are organized that if you come from somewhere else, from another planet, you wouldn't have a clue. So for example, um, here's a newspaper. So a newspaper comes through the door um, you just assume. Well, there are different parts. There's a normal part, and there's a business section, and uh, maybe there's a, a culture set. Oh, there's puzzles. Yeah, there's comics. There's a, yeah. So you you expect that because that's what we expect in our culture. And you'd also expect to have, um, say, here's the business section. It says um, "crop crunch" at the top, and then a single sentence. Think, well, that's a very short story. What's it about? Well, if you understand newspapers, that's a header, and it's telling you what page to look at for the story. And we know this because we know how these newspapers work. It's a convention that's been built up over uh, long periods of time, and it's part of how we just assume things work. The same is true with biblical prophecy. And if you come in from a culture like we have um, that is very, very different, you're going to find that you don't automatically understand how things work. Another quote from Gentry here. Reading and studying the Bible may not be straightforward for readers with a modern and Western background in culture and language. The biblical texts in origin are ancient and Eastern. They come from a different culture and a different time. The normal pattern of Hebrew literature is to consider topics in a recursive manner, which means the topic is progressively repeated. Such an approach seems monotonous to those who do not know and understand how those texts communicate. And um, so the The way this works is the, the author may begin talking about a particular topic and then develop it across a particular perspective and then conclude the conversation. And then they'll start another conversation, but on the same topic, but develop it in a slightly different direction. And when you hear these two together, it's like hearing sound from stereo speakers. Now, is this two sound coming from the speakers the same? Is it different? It's it's the same and different, isn't it? It's the same songs that are playing, but there's a slight difference in them to give the effect of, of three dimensions. And this is what happens with the prophets. By saying things in a slightly different way, they're giving you two different perspectives on something. It's the same thing they don't contradict, but it enriches your idea of the concept. This is very alien to the way that we do writing in these days. And, uh, the, the third thing that I, I want to talk about is the, is social justice. And this issue here, Is one of the fundamental concepts, particularly in Isaiah. So when you, when we're talking about in, in language, we often use word pairs, which means something special when they're taken together. So for example, I may say by and large. Well, if I say by and large, you know, that means, you know, generally speaking. But if I just take the word by and the word large separately, there's nothing to do with by and large. By and large have a special meaning when they are put together in this way. And it's the same is true with justice and righteousness in Hebrew. When you take those two words, justice and righteousness together, they have this particular rich idea. But one thing you can do in Hebrew, which is different, to, to English, is you Hebrew poetry has usually two lines that either repeat one another or they bounce off one another. It's like the stereo. And one line will say something and then the other line will repeat it in a different way. Um, you know, As the heart pants after the water brook, so my soul longs after you. They're kind of the same thing, but it's possible to have justice in one of them and righteousness in the other, and they will actually be joined together in that in that couplet. So we're going to see that. And what's interesting is that um, that this couplet, justice righteousness, occurs just in the book of Isaiah eighteen times. Is connected together in this way. So. Those are the three points, Then I've elaborated them on slightly there. The covenant, this family, this relationship we have with God, and the prophets are interacting with this covenant. Fundamentally, they're saying, like, what's happening? This, you've got this agreement with God. Where's it going wrong? So that's the basis of the prophets. Just about all of the prophetic literature in the Bible is interacting with the covenant. The second point then is the point of you've got to understand that prophecy isn't like some of our today's literature. It's got its own way of being laid out and often repetition in a a, a nuanced way. And the third one then, social justice as being the fundamental aspect, which at least Isaiah and many of the prophets are dealing with in the covenant. So, um, let's then let's start now. We're going to get into the meat of this message today, and we're going to look at Isaiah, and uh, we're going to look at as an example Isaiah chapter five. This is our passage for today, Isaiah chapter five, and uh, this is a picture. I can take you to the real thing here. This is how it's structured, and Isaiah chapter five is um, starts. Uh, it starts off with um, there we go. Uh, it starts off with the song of the vineyard, and it's a song that um, uh, is, to start with, sounds like a nice story, and then suddenly, bang, there's a hit at the end of it. A little bit like when, the, remember the prophet Nathan came to David, when David had committed adultery and told him some story about a, a man with a, a lamb and so on, and David was going along with the story, and then for, suddenly at the end of the story, Nathan says to David, you are this man. And David, ah, oh, wow! Did I do that? And so this is the same kind of thing here with this vineyard, and bang, D. We see what it is, and we'll come. To, I'll show you that in just a minute. And then we have, we have uh, part two, and part two, you'll see, has got these um, these interesting um, elements to it. And I put the woes there in blue. We've got woes and therefores. We've got We've got six woes and, in fact, altogether four therefores. And in English, it's not that obvious. In Hebrew, it's very clear. There's the word the word which we translated woe, bang, 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 and then the therefores. A woe is what you've done wrong. A therefore is what the repercussions are going to be. And uh, what happens is we'll see that it starts off by summarizing everything in woes one and two, then woes three, four, five, and six – Expanding it on it and looking at it from different angles, and the last one, which is wo six, kind of summarizes it all together and then the therefores, which are showing what 's going to happen as a result of these and uh, so that 's like a very quick outline of the structure that we 're going to read it in a minute, and we 'll see what 's going on in this um, so um, uh, so those are the key, the, the key words, the key ideas that are there. Uh, anybody got any thoughts or comments at this point? or just take a pause because there's been a lot of stuff I've given you. Okay, everyone good? All right, so um, we, I've tried to do a, a fancy animation here so that we can see, we can actually read it and still keep the structure in mind, so I hope this works. So let's read the story of the vineyard. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine vat in it. Then he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded bad grapes. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it when I looked for good grapes? Why did it yield only bad? Now you you guys probably know where the story is going. (laughs) They wouldn't originally. This is like they're they're going along, they're asked for a verdict. Yeah, no, this is this is this is really bad. You, You shouldn't allow this to happen. Uh so the owner makes a decision. Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall. It will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. And briars and thorns will grow there. I, I will command the clouds not to rain on it. So, okay, all good up till now. And then he says how this applies. Verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah the garden of his delight, you notice a little bit of poetry there because you can split the nation into Israel and Judah, and he's paralleled the first line, the house of Judah, the second one, so uh, first is the house of Israel, the second one is Judah. He looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. Can you spot social justice in there? You can spot it. Yeah, well done. Because what's good, what we've got is the word pair justice and righteousness, which is, and they're linked together in the two halves of this poetic line. So this then is our first um, statement of really what this is all about. He's looking for this kind of thing and he's not seeing it. So that then is the first part of this this uh, prophetic word in. Isaiah 5, the song of the vineyard. So then we have, we now go into his turning right round now on the nation. This is what's happening. And we're going to start off with a round uh, of woes. And uh, the first round has got two woes and two therefores. So let's see how we go with this. We're going to really get into what it's about now. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left. And you live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. A 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine, a home of seed, only an ephah of grain. So what's going on there? Well, you have to understand partly how the nation was set up so this is a nation which is um, which is agricultural, uh, for both farming and raising sheep. And so the land is very important. And what, uh, what God did when they moved into the land was every um, clan, and a clan is kind of a little bit bigger than an extended family, every clan had land allotted to it which could not be taken away. Even if they went into poverty and sold that land then you can only sell it up to the next uh, year of Jubilee, which it could appear every seven years. So basically, you can sell the use of it for seven years because at the year of Jubilee, it all reverts back to the original owner. And so whatever you did, it always would remain yours. in the go back to that family grouping in the end. And um so this was like this is a brilliant idea because the land was the means of wealth means of getting wealth and if you couldn't accumulate land then you couldn't become super wealthy and so um this was this was how God set the nation up and it also prevented poverty because you know the worst that could happen is you could become um you know go into debt but then all debts had to be wiped after the um end of seven years if somebody was enslaved it wasn't actually slavery it was in indentured servitude until the next year of jubilee when everybody was set free cuz so all you could do was sell your time up to the point of the next year of freedom and so um everything got reset every seven years at least in theory but in practice, this is what the problem was: the um, they had concocted um, partly just by, by not doing the, the jubilee, but partly by by having laws which appeared legal but actually were subverting God's justice. So, for example, um, uh, when somebody was a criminal, uh, confiscating their property, but then. You know, eventually, you know their descendants don't have any property. And there's a very famous story in the in the Bible with with Ahab and Naboth, and how Ahab Ahab tried to 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 trick the law. Actually, it was Jezebel, Ahab's wife, to get the the um to to trick things to get Naboth's beautiful vineyard, which belonged to him and his clan forever, into the property of King Ahab. And so this stuff was going on. And it shouldn't have been possible to build massive, um, estates. It shouldn't. But this was what was happening. And we know this from, um, from history as well when we look at the, uh, the, the, the evidence. It's actually quite interesting that, um, we have a, we have, um, Manuscript evidence from the, um, let me just get the reference here. Yeah, from a document from a Jewish community um, in the 5th century BC. And we've got evidence of what was going on there. They had to pay 5% per month interest on loans that they had. Probably loans to buy food to survive. 5%, that's more than 60% a year when you compound it. That's that's That was uh, what was going on at that time. And so we see this kind of thing going on. And then, so what's the next thing? The next woe is this. Parting in revelry, revelry. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, not to work, but to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. They have harps and lyres in their banquets, tambourines and flutes and wine, but have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the words of his hands. So I'm going to come to the therefores in a minute. I'm just going to stay with woes for now. Okay. So that's laid down the two primary issues. One of them is, is exploiting the poor. And the second is, is this living off, living the high life off the proceeds of what they of the abuse that they had. So we're going to go round a second round now of woes and the first one is mocking divine justice. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes, and those who say, "Let God hurry, let him hasten his work so we may see it." They're being sarcastic. You know God's not doing anything. Let it approach, let the plan of the Holy One of Israel come so we may know it. They basically no, God's not doing anything. So then the next woe, woe to those who call good, evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Because what was going on was that the, the legal system was being perverted by bribes. And by bribing the judges, a wealthy person could get anything they wanted done. Um, the 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 next one, self-approved wisdom. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. And then the last woe, and the last woe really combines all of the other woes up to now, Um Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, heroes at drinking wine, and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny innocent to justice to the innocent. And so you have these two issues in a Twitch the other way around now. The first one is the, the extravagant behavior. And then the last one is going back to their social justice. So this then is the crux of the woes that God has against Israel. And you can see now, as I've shown you, how it's laid out in these in these ways. And it's, it's repeated there, but it's repeated for a reason, because he is trying to um, get us to look at this from different angles. So that's the, those are the, those are the uh, woes. Let's have a little look at the therefores. So we've got two therefores here. Verse 13. Therefore my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Their men of rank will die of hunger and their masses will be parched with thirst. This is the first therefore. And the second one. Therefore, The grave enlarges its appetite and opens its mouth without limit. Into it will descend their nobles and masses with all their brawlers and revelers. So man will be brought low and mankind humbled, the eyes of the arrogant humbled, but the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice and the Holy One will show himself holy by his righteousness. Did you notice that? That's the other, another justice. Righteousness. Pair in the passage, the key idea. Then sheep will graze as in their own pasture. Lambs will feed among the ruins of the rich. And of course, the sheep are the poor who are being mistreated. Now they are able to to live. It's interesting that although um, when we read the captivity, we assume. Often everybody was taken away. Actually the poor were left. And so they were left, and this literally did happen. The poor of the land were left to actually survive in the land, and it was the it was the, the upper and middle classes that were taken away into captivity. So those are the those are the uh those two those two therefore. So then we have the final one which is um, the final, therefore, which is after the second batch of woes, and sorry, this is the third, therefore, after the second batch of woes. Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw, and as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so the roots will decay, and their flowers blow away like dust, for they rejected the law of the Almighty, Lord Almighty, and spurn the word of the Holy One of Israel. And these, although it says law, it's reflecting, it's actually pointing to the covenant, this covenant relationship. They've rejected this relationship. They've rejected this agreement that they had, which was agreement of love between God and Israel about how they were to reflect his love to the world. They were to be a light to the nations, and they were doing the opposite. So that's then the, the, the second section, which has got these six woes and three therefores. And then this ends with a final therefore, and the word used in the Hebrew is, it's, it's a stronger word for therefore. It still means therefore, but it's difficult. We don't have two English therefores, so it's just translated therefore. So here it goes. Therefore, the Lord's anger burns against his people. His hand is raised and he strikes them down. The mountains shake and the dead bodies are like refuse on the street. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. He lifts up a banner for the distant nations. He whistles for those at the end of the earth. Here they come swiftly and speedily. Not one of them grows tired or stumbles. Not one of them slumbers or sleeps. This is the army coming against them. Not a belt is loosened at the waist. Not a sandal thong is broken. The ha- arrows are sharp. All their bows are strung. Their horses' hoofs seem like flint. Their chariot wheels like a whirlwind. Their roar is like that of the lion. They roar like young lions. They growl as they seize their prey and carry it off with no one to rescue. In that day, they will roar over it like a roaring of the sea. And if one looks at the land, he'll see darkness and distress Even the light will be darkened by the clouds. So this sounds pretty discouraging, pretty despairing. Just two things to mention about it. The first is that these prophetic words were always provisional. So if Israel had turned at any point, the the condemnations would have been dropped. Just like when Jonah went to Nineveh, he said, you know, God's going to destroy this place. They repented and the, the, the punishment was lifted. God's, God's threats here are always provisional and the whole point of giving them is so that they will turn. In fact... There are passages where God says, oh, Israel, had you turned, I would have welcomed you back. Please turn. I don't want to do this. My heart breaks to do this to you. My heart is hurting. Please turn. And God is reasoning like this. So this is not representing God's heart. It's representing almost like a plea. I don't want to have to do this. I want you to come back. So that's the first thing to say that it's, it's provisional. The second thing to say is that it's really important that when Israel doesn't go into captivity, they don't think, oh, you know what? I guess the other nations were stronger than than God after all. I guess all those heathen gods were stronger than Yahweh. Um, no, they're to say, oh, God actually said this was going to happen beforehand, and so I know this is in God's hands. It's what God did so um, those then are the elements in this psalm. And I've tried to get this, this, this prophecy and I've tried to give you an overview here. I've tried to show you the three things here. I've tried to show you how the whole thing is linked to God's covenant with them. God had said, I want you to, in your society, to be a demonstration of social justice, so that you can reflect to the world what God is like. And they'll know that you are you are following Him, and this is what He's like. So they're to see this kind of behaviour, and so it's crucial for me. And in fact, a lot of the phrases that take in Isaiah and other prophets are actually taken exactly from Deuteronomy or Sinai uh, to, to to point them back to this promise, this this. Uh, Agreement that had been made with them, so it 's a fact god 's made this he 's not coming out of nowhere but he 's made this, and this is how they are to live and uh, the uh, The other thing that we saw is that key to this idea is that God is uh, wants to demonstrate to the world that he 's somebody who cares about this kind of thing so <clears throat> Just then, to summarize, as we draw to a conclusion, um, three things calling the nation back to the covenant agreement, the shape of ancient literature and the structure, and the issue of social justice i 'd like now to come as we as we close to talk about how this relates to us this morning in a very different s- society, a very different time, but still the same kinds of issues in humanity that we're facing. And so, first of all, I want to say the new covenant is not the same as the old. And we're going to be looking specifically at this in, in some in sermon in the future. But just in essence, what's different is the law is written on our hearts and we have the spirit of God within us in a new way. What does that mean? Well, in the old nation of Israel, the law was written down but the people were not, they, they, they had no, nothing. They weren't changed. The new covenant is different because God says, I will write my law on your heart. I will actually make you different. I'll actually put a desire in you through my spirit to want to do these things. And so if you're a member of the new covenant, you have the life of Jesus within you. And that life will actually want to do social justice it will want to do what is good and so there is a possibility in the new covenant of doing something which ultimately the old covenant was going to fail because it was pointing towards the need for god to actually make us new creation and so it's critical we understand we're not in the same situation we ha- we actually we have the ability through god's spirit to live in the covenant in this new covenant um, yet, sadly, and i don 't have to tell you this, you know this terrible things can happen in the name of Christianity and are still happening in the name of Christianity. What does God think of this? It brings terrible disrepute on his name when God sees people doing things and claiming it 's because they're a Christian and God wants it this This is anathema to God because he is very concerned that people understand. The hope he has for the world is through people following his way. And when people claim to follow him and they do this, it, it's it's tragic and it's horrible. And God will deal with it. And of course, we can be frustrated because just like in, in Isaiah's time, why doesn't God do something sooner? But nevertheless, this is God's heart. So my last slide which is what I want to leave with us as a response to this, is for you to be a light. To be a light of God's character, who God is to this world. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. The call of the prophets is you failed. You've been the opposite as a light to the nations. You're actually being a stinking smell of rotting grapes going out to the nations. You, God's new covenant people, are to be a light. And I've just got three things to say about this. The first is by love. Jesus said in John 17, 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. What he's talking about there, he's talking about loving one another in the Christian community. Of course, we should love those outside the Christian community as well, and there are many verses about that. But the worst thing that we can have is a disunity and attack from one another because this is, Jesus says, this love should be a light to the world. This is how the world may know what love is. So this is the first thing. The second is compassion. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy you look at the life of Jesus Jesus came not for the those who had everything for the wealthy but he came for the those who are outcast in society, those who are the weak, those are the ones who were most in need. Of course, there were still some wealthy ones who were saved. He didn't turn anyone away. But nevertheless, there is an element that we should follow Jesus in this. We should have a heart of compassion and recognize that Jesus is someone, God is someone who has compassion. And the third thing I want to do is um you may think you may be thinking, "Ah, oh, these this this is good, Andrew, but like this is so much. Ah, oh, you know, I'm just exhausted by life anyway. Well, the third one is to rest <laughs> in the strength of Jesus, because you can't do this by yourself. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and he will do this work with his strength in us. Um, as I preached a couple of weeks ago, and those of you who've got the the visitor pack will see it written on the front. It's about, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. So we can only be light to the world through Jesus. We can only do that, and he loves to do that through us. So this is my final biggest takeaway is this prophetic word is to you as well, but you have the blessing of being under the new covenant, which means you have the spirit of Jesus Christ in you and labeling you and giving you strength. So let's go out of here and show God's love to the world through the new power that's in us through God, not on our own strength, but in his. So let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we, we, we cry to you in, in, in pain at seeing the way your name is, is scorned and your name is treated and your, and the way that people who claim to be following you just bring such dishonor on your name. My Lord, we do pray that you would make us a people who bring you glory and people who reflect your light to this world. Lord, in each one of us here right now, I pray that you would help us during this coming week to do some things which show to the world that your character and your concern for social justice. Lord, we pray, we ask you, Lord, for the power because we cannot do this by ourselves. Fill us with your power, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is part two, and I hope to be continuing with part three, and so on and look at more richness in the profits.